We are in the final week of our study through the book of Esther in a series entitled The Presence of God in His Absence. As we've studied the book of Esther, we've discovered that it's the only book in the Bible that has no reference to God whatsoever. No mention of religious activity, really, towards God at all. No mention of prayer, no calling out to His name. There's a brief mention of fasting, although it's not attributed to God. Other than that, we see nothing in reference to any religious practices or God. It's a bit strange until you read the book and you realize God is moving behind the scenes. And just because God is silent doesn't mean He is absent. God has been moving through the book of Esther. We found a a young girl named Esther who is a Jewish girl in captivity in Persia, in the Persian city of Susa. She's an orphan being raised by her cousin Mordecai, and she's taken into the king's harem. Now, she wins favor with the king and eventually becomes his wife, and she is the queen of all of Persia, although her Jewish identity is kept a secret. As the story unfolds, the king's right-hand man, Haman, has a rivalry with Mordecai, Esther's adopted father. He has no clue of their relationship together, and he hates Mordecai so much that he makes an edict declaring that every Jewish person in the entire empire of Persia should be slaughtered. He gets the king's permission, and the king seals the edict with his ring, making it binding and irreversible. Esther has a a contemplation on whether or not she should approach the king. She's, She's wondering if it's worth the risk, knowing that approaching the king inappropriately brings certain death. And yet she bravely agrees to go before her husband, King Hazarus, in order to plead for mercy for the Jewish people. Meanwhile, as as Mordecai and Haman have their rivalry, Haman gets tricked somewhat into parading Mordecai through the city and praising him because of a king's command. He's even more furious and even more upset because his enemy is now being promoted by the king. In the midst of all this, Esther chooses to reveal her own Jewish identity, to reveal her relationship to Mordecai, and then ultimately to reveal that it was Haman's plot to wipe out all of her people. The king is furious with Haman, and last week we saw justice is served as Haman is executed. That brings us to chapters 8, 9, and 10 this morning. And I want to thank Patty Butler, our missionary in San Francisco, for reading Esther 8, 9, and 10 for us. Last week we saw justice served with Haman. But we have to remember the edict to kill the Jews still stands. It cannot be reversed. Not even the king himself has the ability to wipe out the edict. So on the 13th day of the 12th month, all Jewish people are free to be murdered and killed without any repercussion whatsoever. Esther pleads before the king to intervene, and so the king allows her to create her own edict in chapters 8, 9, and 10. Of course, she can't reverse the first one, but what she can do is write an edict that basically nullifies the threat to the Jews. 
So Esther says that on the 13th day of the 12th month, all of the Jewish people are able to defend themselves in any attack against them. And now, of course, having the support of Mordecai, who has been raised into Haman's position, is now in second in command of all of Persia, having the support of a Jewish leader in Mordecai, the the people are empowered. And we find that many, many people have great fear of the Jews. When the day comes, the the 12th day of the, the 13th day of the 12th month, the Jewish people kill over 75,000 of their enemies, including 500 people in Susa on the first day. The king extends the edict to a second day in Susa, and 300 more are killed. This is one of these Old Testament passages that that as you read, you can start to get a little uncomfortable and, and ask, is God really promoting the murder of thousands of people? And of course, the answer is no. Notice a couple of things. First, the people, uh, the Jewish people only defended themselves. If they were intending to make an offensive strike, why wait until the 13th day of the 12th month? Why not be proactive and, and maybe a month before write the edict so that they can seek out those who may search and destroy? No, no, we find clearly in chapter 8, verse 11. It says this, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force that might attack them, children and women included, to plunder their goods. The the decree is not that you can go out and search out an enemy, but instead, if you are attacked, you have the, the right and the privilege to respond and retaliate. Now there's mention of children and women in this verse. It was a common practice because because people typically would not attack a child. Still to this day, this is used in some barbaric forms of war. They would send women and children to fight for them in hopes that, that nobody would kill them. This edict says if you are attacked, regardless of the age or the gender of the attacker, you may defend yourself. Notice it's not an offensive attack. It's a defensive, protective attack. Notice also that in verse 11, they were allowed to plunder the goods. But we read in chapter 9, verses 10 and 17, that the people of Israel, the Jewish people, decided not to plunder, not to take possessions, but instead only to defend themselves. This is not a a barbaric war of the Jewish people seeking out, stealing and killing, almost like pirates would as they they invade another ship. No, this is the people of Israel given permission and power and authority to defend themselves against this evil edict. And so we find that God protects them through Esther and her edict. Finally, in chapter 9, we see Esther and Mordecai establishing this Jewish holiday Purim. In in chapter 9, verse 26, they call it Purim as a reference to, if you remember a few weeks ago, the pur or the dice that were cast to choose the day of the execution of the Jews. 
So they call the holiday Purim, which is celebrated by Jewish people still today, as a reminder of the goodness of God and the heroism of Esther and Mordecai to save the Jewish people on that 12th day, I'm sorry, the 13th day of the 12th month on the Jewish calendar. So now we have the full story of the book of Esther, and we see God moving all throughout. We understand that even though he doesn't speak, he acts. We see how he uses Esther and Mordecai as part of his plan. He even uses Haman to to make sure his people are secure. And ultimately, we find redemption. Not just justice, but a full bringing back of the people of God to safety, to prominence, and to comfort. There is a difference between being justified or having justice and being redeemed. To experience justice means any wrong was punished, but being redeemed means when you were punished, you were also restored. It's kind of like when you discipline your, your children. It is justice to, to give them a punishment, whether it be a spanking or whether it be a, a timeout or whether it be a, a grounding. That is the, the punishment that you give to them to make sure that justice is served. If you do not act according to the rules, there are consequences. But redemption, redemption is the fact that they're still your children. The punishment says you can't do this The justice says it has to be paid for. The redemption is, but come sit next to me and let's talk about this. Redemption is, I love you anyways, and there's nothing you can do to stop that. Redemption is, I'm not kicking you out of the house and making you sleep outside. Redemption says, you're my child, and there's nothing that's keeping us from having that right relationship. Justice was that Haman was executed because of his wicked plot against the Jewish people. But redemption is that God provided salvation, that the people would not be wiped out, that he would still be their God and they would still be his people. I want to look this morning at at these chapters and see the redemption of God for the people of Israel in Esther and see how that redemption applies to my life and to your life. The first thing I want you to write down is this. Esther's edict saved the Jews. And I want you to underline that word saved. It's a past tense form of the word save. It's happened in the past. It's a one-time act. The edict was signed. The stamp of approval was put on it. And the edict ensured the salvation of the Jewish people. Once and for all, the edict is passed. And the Jewish people are saved. Notice that this new edict that was, that was presented struck fear in the enemies of the Jews. The same way that the original edict to annihilate the Jewish people struck fear in the Jews themselves. I think it's ironic that in chapter 8, verse 17, when this new edict is passed, many of the people in the Persian Empire pretended to be Jewish because they were afraid that all non-Jewish people would be persecuted course that's not the point of the edict but you can see how strong the edict was how certain the edict was we understand that that because of Mordecai's new position 
That the, the Jewish people have certain victory. They have protections, they have the army behind them, and they will be victorious. The edict itself gave the people of Israel, the Jewish people, salvation. How does that apply to you and I today? Well, well, it reminds me that God has declared an edict. An edict that declares the salvation of His people. God has given you and I a promise, a certainty, for all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. An event that takes place when we receive Christ is that we are saved. End of story. It's certainty. It has brought victory. We read in Acts chapter 2, verse 21, as Peter is preaching, he says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's a certainty. Paul will echo these words in Romans 10, 13. It says, All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a promise. There's a, a certainty. There's a, a sureness that comes with the edict that God has made. Your faith and trust in Christ secures your victory, secures your salvation once and for all. The edict that Esther passes saved the Jews. In the edict of the cross of Christ, our, our faithful submission to Jesus as Savior and Lord gives us certain guaranteed victory. Esther's edict saved the Jews, but, but notice secondly, as you're taking notes, that the process of redemption is work. The process of redemption is work. The edict may have guaranteed the victory, but there was still a battle that had to be fought. The piece of paper went out stating that the Jews could defend themselves and that they had the power of Mordecai and the army of Persia behind them. However, there was still a battle that was coming. There may have been many who were afraid, but we read of many who were not. At least 75,000 who attacked the Jewish people. The hatred for the Hebrews all across the known world at that time resulted in the death of 75,000 enemies because there was still a battle that they were trying to win. Notice that there's no biblical record of any Jewish casualties whatsoever. We don't read about how many Jewish people were killed. We don't read about uh, whether or not there were, there were fights in which there were families who lost loved ones. We only know about the deaths of the enemies. And of course, that's intentional. Because the point of Esther is to show the totality of the victory of the Jewish people. And so there's really two explanations for why we, we don't hear about deaths among the Jewish people. The, the first is that possibly, possibly, the Jewish people were 100% successful and they experienced no casualties. There is a chance that God's hand was on them in such a way that they did not experience one single death in the battle. God is big enough to be able to accomplish that. As a matter of fact, we, we read several battles in the Old Testament where the, the people of Israel are vastly outnumbered and yet God wipes out the enemy and leaves every single one of the Jewish army standing. 
there's a possibility that there were no casualties for the Jewish people throughout the empire of Persia. However, it's also possible that the the writer of Esther's point was to show the, the totality of the victory of the Jews, and so they didn't report the number of casualties among the Jewish people. But it is possible, and I would argue it's probable, very likely, that there were some Jewish people who paid with their lives to protect the Jewish race. There was a battle that had to be fought, and that battle most likely showed some loss among the Jewish people. Even the victors struggled. While redemption and salvation is certain and final, victory is secured and won, that does not mean that there is not struggle in the battle. Our salvation does not ensure that we never experience hardship. Our salvation is purchased through the blood of Jesus Christ. But life on earth is still hard. We still sin. We still aren't perfect. We bring self-harm in our own actions, in our own choices. We also experience loss. We suffer. The, The fallenness and brokenness of this world still affects us. Our lives are still a battle, trying and trying to figure out how to navigate our way through. And while our victory is certain, the edict is passed, that does not mean that there is still not work to be done. God has called us to persevere and endure. In this way, our salvation is already received, but it's not yet realized. You have, in Christ, the certainty of salvation, but you don't have the full benefits of it yet. What we find is that we we shouldn't be discouraged when our life takes a difficult turn. In Christ, although we have all the certainties of perfection in eternity, we should remember that this life is still a battle, that this life is still difficult. Earlier this week, Hannah led a study with our youth through Zoom. She does that on Tuesday nights. She led a study about the, the three young men in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and their faithfulness to stand up before King Nebuchadnezzar and to tell him that, that they refused to bow down to any idols. They stood up for what was right, knowing that their salvation and their faith in God was secure. But something that I've always noticed about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel chapter 3 is that they were still persecuted and thrown into a blazing furnace of fire. God had promised them salvation. They were so sure of it, they told Nebuchadnezzar that God is able to save them. But then their words in Daniel chapter 3 are so powerful and say, even if he doesn't save us, even if in this life we experience hardship, pain, or death, we refuse to bow down. We refuse to give up our faith and our fight for God. Sometimes God allows us to be thrown into the fire. Sometimes God sends 75,000 enemies against us. Sometimes we experience loss, casualties, pain, hurt. 
But our story of redemption as it's unfolding is certain. The process of redemption is a, is a battle and is work here on earth. But the, the third thing I want you to write down as you're taking notes is this. God's redemption will ultimately be perfect. God's redemption will ultimately be perfect. What we see in the book of Esther, as the, the Jewish people are standing ready to defend themselves, is they have a past, a present, and a future tense of their salvation. There is the past tense that the edict has been passed, that they know their victory is certain. There's the the present tense and that we have this battle to fight and this is part of our redemption is to put in the work and to suffer and to, to strive. But there's that future understanding that when the battle is over, that peace will come to God's people. We read about that especially in chapter 10 as we see the king of Persia, Ahasuerus, taxing his empire in order to repay the Jewish people for losses. We see Mordecai making sure as he reigns in power that he's taking care of the Jewish people. We see that they experience a peace like they haven't experienced in years in their exile. And as the Jewish people stand ready for battle, I would imagine they have the the past assurance of their salvation with the edict, the present struggle in the battle, but that future hope that God is going to make all things right. Salvation in Christ is the same way. All throughout the New Testament, we see references to a past salvation where Paul will write something like, you have been saved. It's already happened and you have possession of it. Other times we read in the New Testament that Paul may write something like, and you are being saved. The process of your life is drawing you closer to God and your salvation is being worked out with fear and trembling. It's happening right now. And we see certainty of a future hope. In the New Testament, as we read times that Paul will write, and you will be saved. There is a certainty and a future glory that is coming that you've not yet attained. But you will. Salvation in Christ gives us hope of a future glory. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 gives us a picture of the the past and the future aspects of salvation. It says, In Him, that is, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, that past act, he says, back in the past, when you believed in the gospel of your salvation, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Do you see the future tense? You don't have your inheritance yet, but you're guaranteed to get it. It's coming to the praise of His glory. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us this is a a guarantee. It's not a wish. It's not just a, a mere hope, but it's a promise. It's a certainty that your redemption will ultimately be perfected. God's desire is to redeem you. Not just to to punish sin, but to bring you into His family. To restore how He created you to be. 
His desire is not just that your sin is wiped out, but that you would be a son or a daughter of God. This promise of redemption this morning does not guarantee an easy earthly life, but it promises a perfect eternal life. Wonder this morning if you've experienced redemption from God. If there was a point in time where you've realized God's edict on your life, the, the promise of salvation has come to you and you are guaranteed to experience heaven. Guaranteed to spend eternity with Him. I wonder this morning if you've had that experience of trusting Christ as your Savior and Lord. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank You for Your your redemption. Lord, you don't just eradicate sin, but Father, you, you redeem and bring us into your family. Lord, I, I thank you that, that we have a, a certain hope. The moment we have put our faith and trust in Christ, the moment that we have believed the gospel, or the moment that we turn to you, we have a guaranteed hope of salvation. Father, we, we ask that each one of us can examine our hearts and know with certainty that we trust you for that hope. Father, we, we thank you that, that in the midst of the battle you're with us. Even when you're quiet, you fight for us and you guarantee victory. Lord, we know that as our lives may take a left-hand turn, that you are with us and you are guiding us. Even through our struggles, God, you are there and you are with us. Lord, continue to bring us to full redemption. And Lord, we look forward to that day when you'll call us home to you. When we stand before you as perfect, saved children of God. Lord, thank you for your redemption. It's in your name we pray. Amen.